going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 2 today. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you somewhere in front of you, um, next to you. Yeah, you got them there. If, if you can't find one, we've got some more up here. Um, but we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to do things a little bit different this morning than we normally do. What I want to do this morning is I want to for us to read through it together. We're gonna, I'm going to read it. I want you to see it up on the screen or in your Bible. And then I want for you to read it again by yourself. I'm going to give you like two minutes to do that. And I want for you, maybe not in the church Bibles, but if you brought your own Bible or whatever, you're going to see Georgia has highlights in her Bible. If you have something to mark, um, I want you to, and we're going to pray here in a second, I want you to ask God, like, what are you teaching me, God? What do you want me to see in this? And maybe highlight a word or two or a phrase that like is jumping out to you. Because when we encounter the Bible, right, we're supposed to see something in it. We're supposed to see God speaking to us. And and a lot of times we come to a message and we just expect the pastor to tell us what we need to know. And, and that's not how it's supposed to be. Um, it's supposed to be that you encounter the Word and, and you hear from God. And so I want to just give you some time on your own to say, what's God pointing out to me? Because each of us are in a different situation right now. Now, my life's not the same as Dale's. It's not the same as Kylie's. And so each of you may be struggling with something different. Each of you may see something different in it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 12 through 18. There's just a few verses today. But here's what I want to do. I want to pray right now. We're going to pray and then we're going to read it together. God, I just ask that you will speak to us, speak to our hearts individually and to us as a church corporately. That you'd show us what you want us to see and hear and do in your word. Father, we know that when we encounter your word, you're going to teach us something if we're open to it. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to open our hearts and to reveal to us what it is that you have for us this morning. We're coming to you, God, expectant, expecting a teaching, expecting a word from you. And so, God, use this time to mold us and make us into men and women who are more and more like Jesus. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. So get some, get a marker or something, something that you can highlight as we read through this, and then you're going to do it again as well. It starts like this, Philippians chapter 2. And this is week, I think, 5 of our series. So there's a lot of stuff that we, if you haven't been here for a while, we've covered already. And this book keeps building on itself. It keeps building and building and building. Here we go. Verse 12, it says, So then, my beloved, it's up on the screen as well. So then, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That's where we're at right now among whom you appear as lights in the world. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back through that on your own. I'm going to give you like two minutes. Okay, I'm going to ask you, maybe someone, just shout out what you highlighted. What is a word or phrase that you highlighted? You don't got to tell me all the spiritual reasons or whatever. Yeah, Barbara, I saw you first. 
speak the word without fear. Come on now. Yeah, right? Get it. Emmy, sorry, I saw you next. Even more in my absence. Yeah. Obedience even in his absence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he said verse 13 is, is, is probably the most, one of the most impactful scriptures for a Christian. You were going to say something, Mom? Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Yeah, it's good. You got one, Georgia? Work out your salvation. We're going to talk about that one. That's a denominational splitter right there. Honestly, that, that, that phrase right there will... Oh my goodness. We're going to talk about it. Rejoice! Philippians is all about joy. You'll see, if you highlight all the words rejoice in Philippians, your highlighter will run out. Like, it's what it's about. Above reproach. So they're all good. Yeah, so like I, I want for us to get in the habit. Uh, I don't know how to say this. Like it sounds weird, but I don't. I don't want you relying on me for what God's telling you. Do you know what I mean? I know that's my job is to bring the word and things like that, and and that's what I'm called to do for this congregation. But I also want you to encounter the word on your own and say, God, what are you teaching me from this? Because what God's doing in my heart and what He's doing in us corporately may be different from what he's doing in your own heart. And so I always want for you to read the text and say, man, God, what are you teaching me in this? And yes, there are universal principles. And there are sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, there are sometimes you approach a text and it's pretty straightforward. And two days later, you approach it again. You're like, whoa, I didn't see that. And like you had read it five times, you didn't pay attention. All of a sudden, there's something new there. That's, that's what's cool about the Word of God. It's a living Organism. It's a living thing that teaches us and molds us and makes us. And it teaches us what we need for that moment. And so I always want for us to do that type of thing. But here's what I'm going to do. As I looked at the text this week, some things stood out to me. And we're just going to look at those words and phrases. And the first one is the very first two words of the text. And it is, so then. Um, and I, I get caught up in words. I'm a word guy. You know, I know I don't speak well, but I like to study words. Um, and this, this, this is important for us to look at these first two words. Does, do any of you have a different version where it says like, therefore? Yeah, a lot of versions will say therefore. Um, but we know what we're supposed to do when we see a therefore or a so then or something like that. And it's like, he's just continuing this conversation. And here's what I'm getting. This series is building on itself. It's building, 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 building. And I wrote, I just kind of selected some of the verses that we've already looked at. So what he's saying is that because of all of the things we've already talked about, that's what so then means, right? He's saying, look at, the, look at some of these verses we've looked at. We've looked at 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. That's a highlighter verse right there. Right? Like God who has started something in you, he's going to finish it. That's an encouraging statement to the believer in Christ. For the person that's down and out, for the person that's struggling with something, listen, God's not done with you. He's got something for you. That's an encouraging verse. So He said that to them right at the very beginning. Then he says, verse 12, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Remember, he was in prison. And he's writing, he's, and he's saying, it's okay that I'm in prison because people have become saved. People got saved. I've been able to preach the gospel to my guards, to the, to the, um, to the judges, to all of the people around me. People are being saved. The, the kingdom of God is growing because I'm in prison, so it's all good. 
that's encouraging for us too. When we're in trying times and we're in struggles, like God can work in those struggles. God can work in those hard times for us. Look at what he says in 21. This is powerful. For to me, to live is Christ and die is gain. We talked about that, right? Having that kingdom mindset. That for the believer in Christ, listen, it's better to be with Jesus. <laughs> it's better to be with Jesus. Yes, you love your family. You don't want to die. But listen, it would be better to die because you're going to be with Jesus. A person that is all about Jesus, and, and Paul was all about Jesus. He was saying, I'm all about Jesus. I'm all about Jesus. I'm all about Jesus. So wherever I can be closest to Him is where I want to be. And the closest to Jesus that you can be is when you're dead here. Because if you're a believer in Jesus, then that means you're with him for eternity in heaven. So he's saying, it's a gain for me. And that was a, that was a perspective that he had because any day he could die. Any day he could have been executed. So he was thinking about death. Look at some of the other things he says here. Verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Remember we, we had the scale out and we looked at that word worthy. And he said, the gospel is heavy. Christ has done so many things for you in the gospel. And our call is to try to balance out that scale. To live our lives in a way that doesn't take what He's done for granted. Now that's impossible, we know that. But that's our call, is to live out our life in a way that balances out those scales. Look at that last one, two five. We looked at this last week. It says, have this attitude, which was humility. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. These are power... And so he, what He's saying here is He's saying... So take all of that stuff I've said into consideration and then do this. Watch what he says. So so then, Paul keeps building and encouraging his beloved. And remember, um, he's talking to the saints. I, I've said this three times, I think, and it's absolutely imperative today. Uh, because what he's going to say, he's talking to believers in Jesus. Remember that. These are people that have already been justified by the blood of Jesus. They've already accepted the free gift of salvation. Because look at what he says here. It says, he says this, So then, my beloved, he's talking to people that he loves, that he knows well. So then, my beloved, just as you have always, and then what did I highlight? Obeyed. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Did any of you highlight the word obeyed? Nobody. Cool. That's the word that stood out to me. And it, it got me thinking about, like, that Paul's saying, and what he's saying here is that you've always obeyed. You've done, you've obeyed me, you've obeyed a word, keep going. But as I looked at it, I began thinking about, like, all of the verses that talk about obedience. And, and I mean, there's so many, there's hundreds, if not thousands of verses that talk about our obedience. And here's just a few of them there. You'll, you'll see John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. That's what Jesus said. You're my friends if you do what I say. That's obedience. Deuteronomy 4, 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and rules that I'm teaching you. And what? And do them that you may live. God's saying, do what I say and you're going to be blessed. You're going to live. Proverbs 13. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself. So if you don't do what the Word says, you're bringing some condemnation. You're bringing some consequences on yourself. This Psalm 1, 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law 
He meditates day and night. Luke 11.28 But He said, Blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Even if you look at that first one, Jesus is basically saying, if you love Me, you'll do what I say. If you love Me, you'll do what I say. And as I thought about that, I really... I've got teenagers now, which is a trip, right? I have a 13 and a 14 year old. And, I mean, I will tell you, we have the most obedient kids around, and that's not because of anything. That's like in spite of Lori and I. I was in spite of me, maybe not Lori, but in, like, God's just blessed in that scenario. But they're, you know, when you're a teenager, you begin to push the bounds, right? You begin to push the boundaries of things and, and try new things, and some of you are like, yep, I know, because I'm one of them, or I was one, or I have one, you know, like, and I began thinking about this whole concept of obedience and how my kids are relatively obedient. They do what we've told them to do. They, they know what's expected and they do it. But I began to wonder why. Like, why do they do it? Do they do it because they're looking for a reward? Because the Bible says that those who obey the word of the Lord will be blessed. Or do they do it out of fear that they're going to get their butt smacked, right? Like, what is their motivation for obedience? Because the Bible's clear on that too, that those who disobey, consequences come to those who, obey, who disobey. So I began, it's like trying to get in my kids' brains, right? I'm like, okay, what are, why do they do what they do, right? Do, is it motivated because they want blessings? Or is it motivated because they fear being in trouble? Or... And this is my prayer. Do they do what we tell them to do because they love us and trust us? Because they, they trust that what we're saying is better for them than what they think. And I, I really began kind of struggling with this and trying to figure this out in like my own life. Like, I want my kids to do what I say because they love me and trust me, not because they're afraid of me or because they want something from me, right? I think a lot of us maybe grew up just doing the right thing because our dad was heavy-handed or because we got paid to do the right thing, right? You got blessed because your mom bought you a new black and white TV when they first came out, you know what I mean? Like, do you know, do you know, like, and I, listen, I want my kids though, to like trust me so much because I've been down the road that they have not yet, right? I'm 43. I know a lot more than them. Probably experienced almost everything they've experienced the wrong way. I've learned my lessons and I want the best for them and I have the best for them in mind. And so when I say don't touch the hot stove, it's not because I don't want them to experience some awesome thing. It's because I don't want them to burn their hand, right? And so I want for them to trust me. And I've asked myself this same question, like, how do I, why do I obey? I'm not talking about obeying my mom because she's not in charge of me no more, right? But like, why do I obey the Lord? Do I do what the Bible tells me to do because I want to be blessed? Because the Bible's clear that there's blessings for those that obey. Or do I do what the Bible says because I fear punishment? 
Or third, do I do what the Bible says because I love God and I trust Him and I trust that His ways are right? And even if I don't understand it, I'm going to do what He says. And I, I really kind of like struggled with this this week and I wondered, God, how, you got to change my heart because there's some things that I'm just afraid of. Like, I don't want to get lightning struck. You know what I mean? Like we have that mentality sometimes. And there's other things like, God, I know that you're going to bless me if I do the right... Like I want to just trust the Lord and do what He says because... It's what He wants for me. And what He wants is best for me, even when I think I know better. Because I don't, right? I don't know better. Look at what the Scriptures say. I mean, they say all kinds of things about that obeying equals blessing and disobedience equals, you know, consequences. And even in the child... um, even in the child-parent relationship, the Bible says this. It's exactly that whole reality. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you. So Paul, to the, to the church at Ephesus, he's, he's writing saying, saying, children, obey your parents because they know what's right and you don't. And you're going to be blessed because of it. So the Scriptures even tell us that there's this Blessings from obedience and consequences from disobedience, but where do we really stand in obedience? Is it only because of those things? What is my motivation? Is it blessings? Or is it not wanting to get consequences thrown on me? Or do I just trust the Lord and do what He wants me to do because I know He's gone before me and He has my best interest at heart? That's what I was kind of dealing with this Weak, as I looked at that word, obey, and it's kind of blew up in my mind and in my heart. I pray that maybe that would speak to some of you. Let's keep going. He says this, he says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, and and Georgia uh, did this one, highlighted this one, work out your salvation. Now, I told you, this is a denominational splitter. You want to split a church in half. Just ask someone what they think about this verse. Okay, this literally is why there are so many kinds of churches and names of churches and those things because of the way that people read this verse. Um, and, you know, I'm not afraid of it. It's clear. It's absolutely clear what Paul is saying here. Um, but I want for us just to look at that verse for just a second. Did any of else of you highlight that verse? A few of you. Okay, cool. Um let me just be clear, right out of the gate. Listen, this does not mean that you have to work to earn your salvation. This is throw it out there. This verse does not say you have to work to earn your salvation. That's not what this says. Okay, we know Ephesians two eight nine. How many of you have that memorized? For by gra- what grace you are what saved through what? Whoa. We're saved by what? Faith. Saved by what? Faith. Grace, faith. Are we saved by works? Not by what? Works. So that no one can boast. I have it up there. Right? We are saved by grace. It is, it is absolutely nothing you have done. Okay? Nothing you've done. And Marsha's back there like, Amen, because I can't. Right? Neither can you. Neither can I. We are saved by faith. 
You're saved because God chose to save you. That He stepped out of heaven. He said, I love that person in their chaos, in their mess, in their sin. I love them so much that I'm going to give my life for them. That was a gift of grace given to you by the God of the universe. You didn't do anything to earn it. You, you did nothing to earn that gift. I didn't do anything. We can't do anything to earn that gift. Yes. Yes. Practice your salvation. So, yeah. It's a great way to say that. Practice your salvation. So this concept that Paul brings up, he talks about this concept in two ways. Um, and he uses two really big words, or we use two bi- really big words to describe that. And they're churchy words, and I know some of you are not into churchy words, but this first word is called justification and sanctification. And they are absolutely two different things. This concept that Paul is teaching us is sanctification, which is practicing your salvation, which is practicing Christ-likeness. Okay? Justification, and I'm going to put this up on the screen because it's just it's too good not to. Um, I wrote this and I, I want you to read it here as I read it because I want it to be clear. It says, justification is to be justified is to be declared legally righteous. Declared righteous. We're going to talk about that in a second. It's a divine act where God declares the sinner to be innocent of his sins. It's not that the sinner is now sinless, but that he's declared sinless. And you see the text there. Okay, um, have any of you ever got caught doing something that you were absolutely guilty of, but somehow you didn't get in trouble for? Right? That you were innocent, or maybe you went to court and you were deemed innocent, or the court was, or the case was thrown out on a technicality or whatever. You knew you were guilty, but you got away with it, right? You were declared innocent. It wasn't that you were innocent, but you were declared innocent. You were declared free and clear. This is what justification is. This is what happens when a person accepts the gift of salvation for the first time in their life. Many of you walked down an aisle, down an aisle as you were a little girl or a little boy and you came and talked to a preacher and, and you came forward and you said, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. That was justification at that moment. When you realize that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus to save you of your sins and you ask Him to do so, you say a prayer, you do whatever you're going to do, in that moment, Christ's blood counts for you. That's justification. Okay? And we've been justified by His blood. Look at what it says, Romans 5, 9. It says this, having now been justified by His blood. It was our blood. We were guilty. It was our blood that we had to shed. But Christ said, I'm going to shed mine for you. Okay? We are justified through the blood. We are declared righteous because of a gift of grace that God offers us. It's not because of anything we've done but simply because He loves us. He sees us in our mess. He sees us in the chaos, in the dirt, in the grime. And He says, I love that person and I'm going to offer them my life for theirs. It's as if you were in a courtroom, you've been declared guilty, you're about to get the death penalty, and in walks Jesus and says, they're going to go free. 
I'm declaring them innocent. You, you place the guilt on me. You place the blame on me. I'm going to pay their penalty. That's what justification is all, about, is all about. That's not the type of salvation, hear me, that's not the type of salvation that Paul is teaching here. He's teaching sanctification, which comes after justification. This is sanctification. I wrote this out. I want you to read it as well. Sanctification follows justification. In justification, our sins are completely forgiven in Christ. So we just talked about. Sanctification is the process by which the Holy Spirit makes us more like Christ in all we do, think, and desire. True sanctification is impossible apart from the atoning work of of Christ on the cross. Because only after our sins are forgiven can we begin to lead a holy life. First Thessalonians 4.7 says, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So like Georgia said, sanctification is the process of us becoming more like Jesus. This is what Paul means when he says, work out your salvation. Remember, who is he writing to? People that have already been saved. He's he's writing to Christians who have already been justified by the blood of Jesus. So this is not about, this is not evangelistic. This is not the gospel. This is not those things. This is work on becoming like Jesus. That's what he's saying here. In light of all those things we've talked about, right? All of those things, all of the stuff we've already looked at, he's saying, become more and more and more and more like Jesus, and this is important, hear me. You cannot work on being like Jesus. You can't work on your sanctification until you've already been justified. People get this backwards all the time. I talk to people quite a bit who have this idea that, you know, they're not believers in Christ yet and they they have something bad in their life, a bad habit or a sin or something hidden, and they think, I just gotta get I just gotta get that right. I've got to clean my act up before I come to Christ. I've talked to people that go to this church that believe that they have to figure out their religion or whatever they want to call it. They've got something that they have to figure out first before they can come to Christ. They have a bad habit that they have to give up before they can come to Christ. It's not going to work. That's opposite of the Gospel. The Gospel says, I see your bad habit. I see how messed up you are and all that. Jesus says to you, I want to come and fix that. Right? We don't fix it on our own. Jesus fixes that for us. He says, I'm going to take the mess that you are, I'm going to fix it, and I'm going to make you more like me. We end up getting that backwards so many times. You think, I need to work on myself before I can come to Jesus. You ever heard anyone say, man, if I walk through the doors of the church, they'll fall down. You ever heard that? You hear that all the time. Yeah! Absolutely, that's exactly what we want. We want people that are so bad that they're afraid the roof's going to fall in. Right? Because that's the point. Jesus said, I love that person. I mean, He loves all of you, but that person that is so far... You couldn't get far enough from Christ where He can't see you and reach you and go, yep, you're mine. Doesn't matter how many joints you smoked, how many... Things of meth, how many guys you've been, does not matter how many cars you stole, doesn't matter the worst things, how many people you killed, listen, does not matter any of those things. None of those things can add up to you not being loved by the Savior. Okay? 
That's what this whole concept is all about. People that are broken and messed up being fixed by the God of the universe. We don't fix ourselves. He fixes us. So let's continue. It says this. He says, Paul continues, work out your salvation. So continue along the path of sanctification. So keep feeding orphans and widows. Keep reading your Bible. Keep going to church. Keep worshiping me. Keep giving. Keep doing all of those things that make you more like Jesus. Keep being generous. Keep being loving to your neighbors. Keep doing all of those things. Okay? Do all of that. Love people extravagantly. And then he says this. This is another thing I highlighted. Oh, we are so late. Oh, my goodness. Y'all, man, I hate this. Okay, here we go. Um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Did any of you highlight that one? Luis did back, like, we're on the same page back there. Do all of those things. Become more and more like Jesus. Practice those things with, what, fear and trembling. Now, that's not... Oh, God's going to get me. Right? That's not what that is. With fear and trembling, there's this kind of concept, and you might have this attitude if you're still working. Um, with fear and trembling is to have an attitude like, have a healthy preoccupation with making sure that the job gets done. Does that make sense? With fear and trembling, yeah, Emmy. Perfect. Perfect. Having a preoccupation, a stress, a worry, whatever, a focus, that the job that has been put before you, you're going to accomplish. That's what fear and trembling is. When your boss gives you a task to do, that's the, like, the, the drive, the, the push to say, I need to do this job, I need to do it well, because this is what I'm being paid to do, this is what I'm being called to do, he's watching me. That's what this concept of fear and trembling is. Okay? So, what is our job? To be more like Jesus. He said, work out your salvation. Become more like Jesus with fear and trembling. So, have a healthy preoccupation. Have it be your only focus. Have this be the one aim in your life. The one goal of your life is to be more like Jesus. That's what he's saying here. It's not to do what you can to be loved by the Lord. That's not it at all. That's absolutely kind of the opposite of what he's saying here. And the Scriptures, I mean, they talk about this time and time again about obedience and, and fear and trembling. And he shares a bunch of verses. We're going to skip a lot of this because uh, we, we've got to keep moving. So he says this. He says, so then, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So verse 12, he's like, obey, 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 obey. And then verse 13, why do we obey? Because it's God doing the sanctification and working. So whatever it is, he's saying here, man, man. So what he's saying, he's saying, listen, God's the one working. 
God's the one doing these things. So make sure you're putting all of your effort into it. Because all of your effort really doesn't match nothing to what God's doing, right? So I, I tend to say, like, we're in a partnership with God. That's what I, I tell people when I'm teaching, like, how do you balance the whole Holy Spirit working and you working? I, I call it kind of a partnership that, that God directs directs us to do something, whatever it is. That we're listening to Him. We're focused on Him. We're living a life where we can hear God speaking to us. Sally, for instance, will see someone at Chevron, someone in need, or Barbara will see someone in need, right? And, and so that's them paying attention to the Holy Spirit speaking to them. They're being directed by God. And then they're, so they're just being obedient in their mind and their brain. They're paying attention. And then what do they, what do they have to do? They have to what? They have to take a step? They gotta act some way. They have to take a step or say something. Someone's in Walmart and you feel the Lord kind of leading you to talk to them. You have to do something. You have to either take one step of faith, say one word of faith. You gotta do something. It's, that's your part in it. And then many of you have experienced this as you take a step of faith, as you take a step of obedience, in your feeble, <laughs> Acts like we don't have any power in this so many times. But even in that simple act of faith to say, God, I'm going to trust you here. I'm going to obey you. Then what does he do? He comes in with the Holy Spirit and he leads that conversation. He's the one that's speaking for you. He's the one that's acting for you. He's the one that's loving through you. And this is this partnership that we have with the God of the universe. And then what the trip is, here's the trip. He does all the work and then he blesses you. Because you took that simple step of faith. This is crazy. This is crazy. It's like looking for opportunities to bless you. The God of the universe is literally looking for opportunities to bless you. He says, there's something I want you to do. And you just go, okay, God, you take one step. Boom, he takes over. And then he says, good job, right? It's like a little kid that's taking their first step. Right? And you're like, yeah! And then most of you are like, wait, he can walk now. It's crazy. Right? right? But that's not how God is. He's like, take that first step. Yeah! And then He praises you and He blesses you. And He was holding your hand the whole time. You didn't even know it. Right? This is that relationship that Paul's getting at. And it's what he's trying to teach us today. His direction, plus our simple efforts, plus His supernatural power, equals kingdom results. I mean, if we could draw like a math equation... His direction plus our effort plus His supernatural power equals kingdom results. All you have to do is take a step of faith towards Him. Take a step of obedience towards Him. Be on the lookout for where He's working and join Him there. We're going we're gonna to close because we are so far over. I don't even know how to close this. Verse 14. Let's just look at this one really quick because this kind of sums up the rest of the text. And someone who highlighted this one, I think my mom... Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Remember, he's been talking about church unity for a while now, right? Uh, Debbie Downers can bring church unity way down. You, any of you know a Debbie Downer? Not Debbie Debbie. Sorry, we have two Debbies here. She's looking at me, she's like, mm. Sorry, that's a weird word. A Deborah? Is your real name Deborah? Oh, I can't even use that. You know, do any of you know like a sourpuss? Just, mmm. Right? Whatever. Just always, just always, yeah, Johnny Raincloud, that's perfect. Or who was the Peanuts character? There's always, 
the Linus always sad or anyway. Any of you know that person? You're having a good time and they're and then they're around you like, oh. Like that brings church unity so far down. Any of you know a gossiper? Ooh, man, you want to talk about bringing church unity down. You don't know, you all, like, a complainer. Any of you know a complainer? Some of you are the complainer, right? Like, those types of people bring church unity to a screeching halt. And as you look at the text, that's really kind of what he's talking about all the way through that text. He's saying, listen, don't be that way. Be like Christ. Be humble. Watch Him. Obey Him. Do what He's calling you to do. Um, I don't know. We're just going to have to stop there because we could keep going and going and going and going.